Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Great are you, Lord, and worthy to be praised. God, you are our creator. You're the sustainer of all things. You're sovereign over all. You are more powerful than all of the darkness. You never grow tired and you never grow weary. You alone, Lord, deserve all glory and all honor and all praise. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away our sin. So we come this morning with complete confidence in Jesus as we confess our sins to you right now. Lord, as a church, we ask for your forgiveness for the times we do not live as you call us to live. We ask that you forgive us for the times that we are not in your word, for the times that we do not lead our families as as we should, for not giving forgiveness or extending grace as you have to us. But in our confession, Lord, we thank you for the promise of your forgiveness. We thank you that you say that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you that you say, I will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would create in us obedient hearts Help us to have obedient lives. We thank you for your grace and forgiveness, your provision, your love. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as the saints. And we ask that you would open our hearts so that we may know you more and more. Apart from you, we acknowledge we are completely hopeless. Lord, we lift before you now those in our congregation who are sick. We have some who are recovering from COVID and are at home, and we ask for relief. We have some in pain. We ask for healing. We have some that have received scary test results, and we ask for miraculous healing, and and we ask that you would increase their confidence in your plan. We have some who are tired and weary, and we ask that you would give them strength. We have some who are mourning this morning. We ask for comfort. Lord, we also want to bring before you Life changed, life changed Church in Coos Bay and, and Pastor Dale. Lord, would you use him this morning to boldly proclaim the word of Jesus Christ? That you would raise up the church to be a light in, in the darkness. Lord, we ask the same for our church. That you would 
Give us ears to hear, create obedient hearts. Move us into the darkness with the confidence of the gospel. Lord, by your spirit, speak to our hearts. I ask that you would give me endurance this morning to proclaim your word faithfully and boldly. That you would save the lost this morning. That you would wake up the sleeping. That you would turn around the saint that is running from you. We pray all of this in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Or you can stick around and see if I actually make it through all of these verses this morning. Everyone in there out here is doubting. Well, good morning, church. Every church has a very unique story and how they began. Hauser Community Church, we have this really cool uh, video you can watch on our website that Dan Culver made uh, that tells kind of how the church began. And, uh, but every Christian church has one thing, at least one thing in common. The fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ has penetrated the hearts of a group of people and they desire to gather together and worship the Lord, to celebrate the gospel, to disciple one another, and to be equipped for the work of the ministry so that they can go out and expand the kingdom of God. This morning we're going to look at three stories that tell the beginning of the church at Philippi. We're going to see the story of Lydia, a rich woman, of a slave girl, and of a jailer. But we would not be telling these stories or the story of the church of Philippi if the gospel was not preached in several very unique ways. I think a lot of times as a church, we want to grow. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to uh, advance the kingdom of God. We long to see the chairs in here full, but we do not participate in the gospel. You see, because Jesus is the Lord of all, we have to always be ready in every situation to speak the gospel into that situation. And I get it. I know it is difficult to share the gospel at times. I understand it is scary. But I think it's because we really just overcomplicate evangelism. We overthink, what it, we boil it down to, I have to approach some random person on the street and proclaim to them the gospel. And I need to have it all together before I do that. But we can speak the gospel in a thousand different situations, in a thousand different unique ways, and that's what we're going to see this morning in the text. We're going to look at five ways that we see how to speak the gospel in specific situations. So first, we're going to look at speaking the gospel to the one who is seeking. Paul and Silas, they are, they are doing, they're focused on what the Lord has told them to do. Last week, we saw in Acts 16, 9, that Paul has this dream and the man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And immediately they, they get on a boat and they start traveling toward Macedonia. They are doing exactly what God has told them to do. They don't think about it. They don't say, well, let me stop and pray. Uh, maybe this is the will of God. They know that this is the will of God. That he would call them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So they get busy. They set sail to Troas. They make a direct voyage to Samothrace. The following day, they go to Neapolis, and then from there, they go to Philippi, which is this big city. What better place to start sharing the gospel is in this big city where they know there's going to be a lot of people. And when they get there, they pick a place to share. Look at the text with me. Acts 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Paul, in his regular fashion, he goes and speaks the gospel to the Jew first. We see that in Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. They were actually looking for the Messiah. Normally, Paul goes to a synagogue. The text suggests that there's not a synagogue there. We don't know that for sure, but to have um, a synagogue, there has to be at least 10 Jewish men. Uh, We see that he goes to a place of prayer where the women have come together to pray. We know that they are probably God-fearers, so they're either... um, Because Lydia, we're going to see, is from Thyatira, so she's probably converting to Judaism, but she's seeking after the Lord. But he goes to the the Jew first because they are looking for the Messiah, and he, he wants to tell them the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And church, we too should speak the gospel first to those who are seeking the Lord, The Lord has already started drawing them to himself. He's already started giving them interest in what he's doing, who he is, what he has done. These are the ones who are coming to church and they're looking for answers. They're the ones who are asking you questions. Why do you believe the way that you believe? Those who are religious, but they really are not really sure why. Paul still sought after those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Why? Because they shall be satisfied. That is the promise of Christ. So our primary focus in sharing the gospel should be those who are seeking. And I get it. It's intimidating. It's a little scary. The way to curb that a little bit is to have a plan You know the saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you you don't even think about evangelism, you don't think, how can I actually speak the gospel to the people I work with, to the people I'm friends with? You're not going to. There's no real set way to evangelize. You don't have to wait for a dream about a dude in Macedonia calling you to go across outside the gate to the river to a place of prayer and tell them about Jesus. You don't need to wait for that. But we should be thinking in some way, how can I share the love of Jesus Christ? Most Christians are not thinking about that. They're not thinking, how do I share the gospel in my context? 
with how do I do that? But don't, church, don't be most Christians. Don't be like, be the exception. Be the one who says, I am going to have a plan. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to start writing out what would this maybe even look like, and I'm actually going to execute it. And maybe it'll be that God gives you one person. Look at the text, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. He didn't have a thousand people respond to his message. He had one One that the Lord ignited her heart to listen to the gospel. Lydia's from Thyatira, which is a large city in Asia, which is kind of ironic because the Lord told him not to go to Asia. So he meets an Asian in Macedonia instead. Um, Just pretty funny that they put that in there. Um, She's a seller of purple goods, so she was probably very wealthy. She was a worshiper of God, a God-fearer, as we have seen all throughout the the book of Acts, which means she rejected paganism, not very popular in the Greek culture. Uh, She rejected polytheism, meaning there's more than one, one God. She rejected that. She said, I know that there's one God. She's a Jewish convert or follower of Judaism. And as Paul is sharing the gospel, we see the Lord opens her heart to pay attention to the gospel. He's already started drawing her to himself. He is already um, doing that, but he now opens her heart a little further so she can receive the gospel of Jesus. Hey, church, do you see the love of God to his children? He is involved in the entire process. He is involved, he's already given her an interest in who he is. And then he sends Paul way over to Macedonia to give her this message. He's drawing Lydia, sending Paul, giving her ears to hear. He is involved intimately in our salvation. And this is the power of God in salvation. Do you have that kind of confidence in the Lord's sovereignty as you share the gospel? How much weight does that let off of your back? You speak what Jesus has done. You say, this is what he has done. This is who he is. This is how he has changed my life. This is how he has saved me. And then you trust him to work on the heart. It's not, I have to get everything right and I have to have this perfect presentation so so that maybe I can convince them to come to Christ. It's, I'm going to tell them the gospel in my broken life and broken way, and God is going to save them. Too often we put the weight of conversion on our own, own shoulders. We cannot change one heart. Not one heart. We get the message right, but the Lord changes the heart. And then just look at the ripple effect of the gospel. Verse 15. She was baptized in her household as well. She urged us saying, 
If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she's, she responds to the gospel. She is baptized. So she says, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. She takes Paul and Silas and Timothy and they preach the gospel to her household. And, and they are also saved. And she immediately displays the gospel life by serving. She is immediately doing what the Lord has called her to do. And this is evangelism. Not one person doing every bit of the work, but all of the people who've been impacted by the gospel telling other people how Jesus has saved them. And that's how the kingdom keeps growing. When we started Acts, we had a small group that he says, Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. We are across the water now into Macedonia and the gospel is still growing. The kingdom is still growing and we don't stop sharing the gospel when we get, oh good, we got one, I fulfilled that checkbox so I don't have to share the gospel anymore. We keep doing that. We keep following through. Those who believe need to be baptized. Those who are baptized need to be discipled. Those who are discipled need to be in fellowship with one another. We need to be together. We're not just trying to make converts that we never talk to again. Evangelism is developing unity. It's bringing the people together. Fellowship reveals that we are more than fulfilling an obligation. It's a true sign of love. It's a true sign of bringing down the walls of hostility and celebrating the sin-crushing power of Jesus Christ. And we continue sharing until the Lord moves us on. Verse 16. As we are going to the place of prayer. So this is more than likely the next week. They're going back to the place of prayer. They're going back to share the gospel where they had a one convert. They had Lydia come to know the Lord. Evangelism isn't just one and done. We keep sharing the gospel until the Lord moves us on. That may mean you never leave Coos County. Ever. <laughs> That's the way it goes. You just continue sharing the gospel in that context until the Lord calls you home. It may mean you're called to the mission field. Maybe for a week, maybe for the rest of your life. I don't know. But we keep sharing the gospel. So we speak the gospel to the seeker. And in contrast, we speak the gospel into the darkness. Look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and was crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. On the other end of the spectrum now, so we see Lydia, now we see a slave girl. Lydia was rich, this slave girl, very poor. Lydia was the head of her household. This slave girl, the lowest in someone else's household. We see Lydia seeking the Lord, she's looking for him. We see the slave girl 
is possessed by a demon. Very opposite ends of the spectrum. But this goes to show that we're called to speak the gospel to everyone. The seeker, the demon possessed. We are speaking the gospel to everyone. And as you read, you think, it sounds like she's helping. She's calling out. She's saying, hey, follow these guys. They're servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming to you the way of salvation. It doesn't sound like this is demon possession. It sounds pretty legit. So why is it not? First, her reputation is she's a fortune teller, possessed by a demon in a polytheistic culture. She obviously isn't proclaiming the same God as Paul and Silas because she's a representative of another God. I once, I took a world religion class in seminary and we had people from different um, religions come in and speak to us. We had um, a Buddhist come in. We had someone from uh, a Muslim, uh, uh, a Muslim mosque, thank you, uh, come in. We had a Hindu speaker come in and he was, he, the Hindu speaker was super charismatic. He was, I mean, really, you just wanted to listen to the guy speak he was very just fun, and he said, you know, I am, I am good with Jesus. I really like your Jesus. I enjoy him. I think he's great. I, I think he has good things to say. But if this man was to go out and tell someone about the Jesus that he liked, he's making his own personal Jesus up. He's not following the Jesus of the Bible. He would be misrepresenting who Jesus really is because he doesn't know the true Jesus. This isn't much different than a lot of people who claim to follow Christ and be Christians and then they live and do whatever they want but don't follow Jesus. It's hard to say you're a follower of Christ if you actually never follow Christ. Satan's greatest trick is to make people think they know Jesus when all they really know is the right things to say. All the while giving the world around them a bad or wrong taste of who Christ is. Another reason this girl's not helping is she's annoying, Paul. We all know that this is the work of Satan. If you're annoying, no, you're not possessed by the devil, but um, Satan's, he is just, he loves to distract. He loves to annoy. He loves to hinder. And just think about your prayer life. How long does it take you to stop thinking um, before you can actually start praying? How much is going on in your brain that you think, okay, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, oh, I have to put that pie in the oven. Um, okay, nope. That's, oh, dear Lord, oh, I have all of these things I need to be doing. He's, he's constantly trying to distract us. And that's what's going on here. Paul is trying to speak the gospel and this demon-possessed girl is just calling out, yes, listen to them. Yes, follow them. This would be like if Ken stood up and just said, yes, keep going, Greg. You keep talking about what you're talking about. It's wonderful. We would say, be quiet, Ken. You are annoying me. I wouldn't say that to Ken. He's never annoyed me in his whole life. Wonderful. Don't start now. But Paul, he takes this opportunity. He doesn't just say, be quiet. 
He casts out the demon. He, he speaks the gospel into the darkness. He uses that opportunity. He's not annoyed with the girl. He's annoyed with the spirit that's tormenting the girl and tormenting him. That's the attitude of gospel people. We're not annoyed with people. We don't hate people. We hate evil that is working in them. And you may be thinking, if I go around, Greg, I hear what you're saying. I like it. But if I go around and I start saying, uh, go away, or commanding demons to come out of annoying people, I'm going to be in the psych ward before lunch. (laughs) You're probably right. You probably will be. But think, have I ever prayed against the darkness? Have I ever been telling someone about the gospel and prayed that, that the Lord would remove any demonic influence, any demonic presence. C.S. Lewis, he comments that Christians, we, we often make two mistakes about demon possession. One, we think the, the demons are under every rock and under every tree, and we think that every annoying person is demon possessed. And, and so that, that's the common mistake, that it's everywhere, all the time. And the other is, that's just nuts. Demon possession is not real. They were just trying to process through what's going on at that time. They called it demons. It's, it was more probably a chemical imbalance in their brain, blah, blah, blah. So we just write it off. It's not a real thing. We have to be a people of middle ground. We fight against spiritual forces in the unseen realms. Paul says that. In, in Ephesians 6, he tells us. And we fight with the power not not our awesomeness. I tell you all the time, you're not awesome. Jesus is, right? We fight with his power. So remember, instead of writing someone off, instead of hating the lost, you are fighting the darkness that is oppressing them. They're dead in their sin. They're slaves to unrighteousness. We get to breathe the gospel into those dark times. So Paul speaks the power of Jesus Christ and then the spirit leaves. That's the power of the gospel. John says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you believe that though? I mean, we we say we believe that. Do we actually believe that he came into the world to destroy the works of the devil? Because if you do pray, he will. And believe, he will. Do you believe the power of Jesus to break down walls and pray He will. Do you believe he has the power to shatter addictions? Pray he will. We speak the gospel into the darkness with the full confidence that Paul writes in Colossians 2, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. Now, we don't know if this girl is saved. We don't know if she comes to know Jesus. The, the text doesn't tell us. We don't presume on the text. We don't say this, I'm pretty sure she did. I don't, I don't know. But I do know that this tells us something very important about the gospel. Satan no longer has the power to deceive the nations. This is the beauty of Acts. It's revealing the power of the gospel to, to reverse the curse. So seekers are being brought in. Brought in. Brought in is not a word. Seekers are being brought in. Darkness is starting to fade, and we're able then to confidently speak the gospel into tribulation. 
We see what happens here. Uh, Paul and Silas, they are drug out now, and they are stripped down. They're beaten. They're, they're lied about. These guys are teaching against what we believe. And, and actually, they were. They were teaching that uh, there's not a bunch of gods, and the pantheon is not something we, uh, we are worshiping. There's one true God, and his name is Jesus Christ. So they're drug out, and they're falsely accused. They're beaten. They're thrown into prison. It sounds very familiar. We've seen it all through uh, the Gospels. We saw it with Jesus. We saw it with James. We saw it with Stephen. Peter was persecuted. The apostles have been persecuted. We get it. Like if you preach the Gospel in a God-hating world, it's going to hate you back because the Gospel is offensive. It's exposing darkness. But Paul and Silas and Timothy, they don't kick and fight and scream and say, this is unfair. Oh, they're beating us and throwing us in prison for no reason. That's not what they do. They understand uh, Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They get that. They look, they, they understand, they even rejoice when they're beaten. Paul later on is going to write to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's writing that letter from prison. He's saying, look, no big deal that I'm back in jail. It's actually serving to advance the gospel. So rejoice. Paul's confident. Anything, he says, anything that happens, I'm just going to use it to share the gospel. Because no matter what they mean for evil against me, we've quoted uh, Genesis 50, 20 constantly. If they meant it for evil, God uses it for good. He's greater. He can reach anyone at any point. We just have to be willing to trust him. We're only able to share the gospel in tribulation, though, if we're confident in his sovereignty. If we truly believe that whatever comes our way is meant for advancing the kingdom. If we wait on him, instead of trying to solve our own problems, we wait to see what is he taking us into, and we just keep speaking the gospel into every one of those situations, it will be fine. He is sovereign in tribulation and trials and persecution. Are you willing, church, to wait and see what God is doing? Or are you so bent on not suffering that you miss it. Trust the Lord, believer. Trust in him. He can turn every trial into a moment of beauty and speak the gospel into tribulation. What does that look like? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These wackos are sitting in prison, praying and singing. Like, this isn't faced them at all. They were speaking the gospel in tribulation by rejoicing. Like, instead of grumbling, I want, to hear, I want you to hear that. Instead of grumbling, they're praising. They're thanking God. You realize you can share the gospel by simply praising the Lord in front of others when you're suffering. I know a lot of you in here. I know what you're going through. And whenever I sit in here and listen to you sing, 
you're preaching the gospel to me. And people will probably think you're nuts. And you might be. But you're showing something very awesome. That you believe that Jesus is Savior over all things. Like, even suffering. Even the thing that we as our physically want to be out of. If we can sing in those moments, we're preaching the gospel. And notice, the text says, and the prisoners are listening to them. People are watching how you behave in every situation. Because how you behave is revealing what you believe. What are you saying with your life? What are you saying? Uh, What are you preaching with how you act through your trials? Are others seeing someone who is hopeless, afraid, worried? Or are they seeing someone when life is beating them down, just their eyes are fixed on the king? Saying, I know my Savior lives. Though he slaves me, I know I can trust in him. Do they see someone who has hope beyond all comprehension? The world around us is one crisis away from hopelessness. We see the jailer, the earthquake comes, and he sees the doors are open, and he's, I'm ruined. They've escaped. My next thing is death. We saw that. Herod kills the jailers in, in Acts 12 because the, Peter has escaped. And he's about to fall on his sword. He's about to take his own life because he has no hope in that moment. But in this instance, Paul stops him. And he proclaims the gospel in the darkest moment in this guy's life. He preaches the gospel to him. Do you understand that? If Paul did not preach the gospel to him right then, he would have died and gone to hell. But he stops him. He says, don't, don't do that. We're here. Don't fall on your sword. And at that moment, the jailer understands these guys who have been I thought they were nuts. They've been singing in jail. They've been praying to the Lord. They have something I don't. And I need to know. And he runs to them and falls down. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul doesn't say, let me give you five easy steps. <laughs> he says, say, let me walk you through the Roman road. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And not only is the jailer saved, I'm just going to read the rest of the text, starting in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He <laughs> said, Come to my house and tell my family this good news. And he took them in that same hour at night and he, he washed their wounds. He serves them. He baptized. He was baptized. He and all of his family are baptized. And he brings them into his house and he feeds them and he rejoices along with his entire household that he believed in God. 
All because these brothers are keeping their eyes on Jesus in the middle of tribulation. Even in the darkness, are you willing to share the gospel? That's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 17. But even if you should suffer for the righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that you have. You do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. It's exactly what Paul does. I'm certain the jailer was slandering them, but he's put to shame the moment he sees I need their God. And they are ready to give him the hope that they have. They don't say, sorry, bud, you're a jerk. We're not helping you. They say, let me tell you the gospel. How we respond in tribulation helps people see what we believe. Church, live for Christ in your trials so that the world sees your hope. And when we respond, that helps us even to speak the gospel to our enemies. So what happens next? Uh, The magistrates, they come, they say, ah, yeah, you can let them go now. We're done um, with these guys. And Paul says, "Uh, we're Roman citizens. You have publicly humiliated us. You have beaten us and it wasn't lawful. So you need to come and bring us out, magistrates. They make sure, though, that the gospel is shared first. They didn't do that first. They didn't say, hey, wait, stop beating us. We're Roman citizens. They don't pull the the Roman citizen card right away. They know that suffering for the gospel, that's just part of what's going to happen. And that speaks the gospel to their enemy because it's revealing to the magistrates that their main focus is not being a Roman citizen. Their main focus is being a citizen of the kingdom of God and their main mission is to share with others how they can become people in the kingdom of God. And the magistrates' attempt to squash what they are doing loses all power because the kingdom of God cannot be locked up in a prison. It just starts a church in a prison. So when the magistrates beat them and throw them into jail, their primary goal is to preach the gospel, and we need that same mentality. When someone treats us wrong, our first response is going to be to fight for your rights, to stand up for yourself, make sure that your first response is expanding the kingdom of God. And man, a lot of times that is denying your rights first. What message does that send your enemies when they mistreat you and you just turn it for an opportunity for the gospel? It's one like Jesus in John 18 when he's about to be crucified and he's told, my kingdom is not of this world. However, they do use the Roman citizen card. Their maltreatment is dealt with. Uh, They make sure that they're dealt with properly 
so that their name is not slandered, so that the gospel is not, um, so that people don't come to them and say, oh, these are just those troublemakers. No, they, they use their rights to make sure that their name is clear, that we did nothing wrong. For them, though, it's not about their rights. It's about taking advantage of their Roman rights to further the kingdom of God. If they would have just let it go, no one would have listened to them. But because the, the magistrates have to come to the prison and apologize publicly, the people around them are saying, maybe they have something worth listening to. We can relate. If we're falsely accused, we would use our legal system to, to clear our name. But the point here is not clearing your name. It's the gospel at all costs. And what does that look like? Recently, we had a pastor in Canada who was put in prison for uh, violating restrictions during COVID. He's thrown in there. He went peacefully. I'm assuming he preached the gospel in prison. He was released, no charges. But how would your reaction be? Would you be more concerned about yourself first or your opportunity to reveal the kingdom? We can speak the gospel to our enemies simply by revealing to them that our priority is not ourselves. It's the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 3.16, it says, having a good conscience, we just read this, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you are put to shame. Finally, we need to continue and quickly to speak the gospel to the church. Let me close with verse 40. They went out of the prison. They do. So they do leave the city, but they'd already planted a church there, so it's fine. They go out and they visit Lydia. They've seen the brothers, they encourage them, and then they depart. We have to keep hearing, church, and remembering the gospel continues to minister to us every day. We're not just done with it once we hear it. The new believer, like Lydia, needs to be encouraged. The church needs to be encouraged with the gospel. What does that look like? Visitation. So they went out in the prison and visited Lydia we spend time together, we have dinner together, we encourage each other, we visit the lonely, we visit the elderly, we, we, we visit the super busy family who doesn't have time, so we just kind of jog behind them and visit with them at the, the market or whatever. We visit the sick, we pray with them. I think many Christians, Americans, excuse me, have lost the art of visitation and fellowship. We're just too stinking busy. The art, the beauty of just eating together and fellowshipping. All week I've been at camp. I haven't had my phone. Uh, it's been refreshing, exhausting, but refreshing to just sit and talk with godly people. We tell each other of God's faithfulness. Can you imagine the story as Paul gets back to Lydia's house, the story that he gets to tell her about the gospel and how Christ has delivered them and how the jailer came to know Jesus? At youth camp, we have this time called, um, fight. it's a fireside time, so 
the kids get together, we play some songs, and then we have a time of testimony. People come and share their testimonies. It's one of the most just beautiful times to hear how God has worked in people's lives. Like, do you even, do we ask people that anymore? Like, tell me your story. How did you come to know Jesus? Let me tell you mine. Finally, all this works out to be encouragement. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear how God is working in each other's lives. Because it speaks how the Lord is actually constantly building his kingdom. Too often we get together and say, can you believe what I heard on the news? Can you believe the new restrictions? Can you believe this? Can you believe what our country is coming to? Can you just listen to my woes for a little bit instead of just... Let me tell you the goodness of God. Let's talk about the gospel with each other. Let's talk about the kingdom coming, the changed lives we're seeing, the victories we're seeing in our own lives. Church, because Jesus is Lord of all, we must always be ready to speak the gospel in every single situation. My challenge to you, church, is to start thinking that way. How will I share the love of Christ? How will I show the love of Christ in every single area by the power of the Holy Spirit? Ask, where are you sending me, Lord? If you're in here this morning and you're saying, how do I, how, what must I do to be saved? I'm just going to answer you with verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so humbled by your grace. You bring light into every single dark situation. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people of the gospel. That it would always be on our lips. We would always be ready to, to share the hope that we have. But we can't do that alone. We need you, Holy Spirit. We are oftentimes lazy and tired and busy and we just we need you to break through that and move us we love you in jesus precious name amen thank you for joining us at hauser community church online check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of god please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541 756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon 97459 Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free and that truth is Jesus Christ.